All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Garanga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Sri Mati Bhakti Vedanta Swami Niti Namane. Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pracharane. Nirvase Sasunyavadi Paskatyade Satane. Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuta Parakamalam Shri Guru and Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raganatam Vitam Stam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lavita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Vanchakapachi Vishaki Pasimbi Avatapatitanam Pavanavio Vaishnavakanam Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So September 26, 2019 in Hillsborough, North Carolina we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10 Chapter 11, The Childhood Pastimes of Krishna, Text 54. Shrutvatad Vishmita Gopa Gopyas Chati Priyadrita Pratyagatam Ivotsukyad Aikshanta Trist Aikshanta Trisitekshana. Please chant. Shrutva. After hearing. Tat. These incidents. Vishmitaha. Being struck with wonder. Gopaha. The cowherd men. Gopicha. And their respective wives. Ati Priya Adritaha Receive the news with great transcendental pleasure. Preacha Agatam Iva thought that it was as if the boys had returned from death. Utsukyat with great eagerness. Aikshanta began to look upon the boys. Trishita Ikshanaha. With full satisfaction, they did not want to turn their eyes from Krishna and the boys. Translation. When the coward men and women heard about the killing of Bakasura in the forest, they were very much astonished. Upon seeing Krishna and hearing the story, they received Krishna very eagerly, thinking that Krishna and the other boys had returned from the mouth of death. Thus they looked upon Krishna and the boys with silent eyes, not wanting to turn their eyes aside now that the boys were safe. Purport. Because of intense love for Krishna, the cowherd men and women simply remained silent, 
thinking of how Krishna and the boys had been saved. The coward men and women looked upon Krishna and the boys and did not desire to turn their eyes aside. Shutvatad Vishmita Gopa Gopyas Chati Priyadritaha Pratyagatam Ivoksukyad Aikshanta Trishte Ikshanaha. When the coward men and women heard about the killing of Bakasura in the forest, they were very much astonished. Upon seeing Krishna and hearing the story, they received Krishna very eagerly, thinking that Krishna and the other boys had returned from the mouth of death. Thus they looked upon Krishna and the boys with silent eyes, not wanting to turn their eyes aside now that the boys were safe. So the previous verse had balakaha, which means children. And there's to distinguish how do we know that this, uh, that the gopa and the gopyas are not children. How do we know that he was referring to the adults so, two reasons. One is the contrast with the previous verse, which was Balakaha. So, and the other reason is that here it's Shrutva, they heard. So, the cowherd boys actually witnessed Krishna killing Bakasura. They didn't hear about it. They, they witnessed it. And that way we can tell uh, that we're here talking about the adults. And how did they hear about it? They heard about it, of course, because, as we said yesterday... The cowherd boys were making up poetry and songs. And so when they came into the village with Krishna and the cows, they're singing these songs. You know, Krishna killed the Bakasura demon, and everybody's hearing that. And uh, when they were hearing this story from the boys in poetry and song, then just like the boys had been filled with wonder, so now the adults are also filled with wonder, and they're just looking at Krishna. Uh, so this is, here we were talking about the five components of rasa, and the one we didn't discuss yesterday is the sattvakabhav, the involuntary expressions of one's feeling. So again, the five components of rasa. And again, we use rasa as a shortcut for staibhav sometimes. We'll say the five primary rasas, the second secondary rasas, but really we're talking about the staibhavs. Uh, where Prabhupada often translates as continuous ecstasy. And that's the basic feeling one has for Krishna, friendship, parental, so forth. So there's that basic feeling, which we have also in this world for people. Yeah, Oh, he's my friend. Right? Or I, I see her as a student. Uh, so there's just some feeling there of friendship or parental or like that. So that's the staibhav. And then there's the anubhav, which is what we do voluntarily as part of that relationship. So on yesterday, we read about the demigods who are sh- they're showering flowers, they're offering prayers, the cowherd boys, they're singing, they're making up poetry, they're singing songs, these are actions. And then the vyavicharibhavs are these transitory emotions, which we have wonder and relief. And here again, we're finding in the adults, wonder, vishmita. So this is wonder, but it's also a sense of relief that they're thinking, oh, the boys are safe. You know, so this is transitory emotions. Then we have the vibhav. So the vibhav are, is the impetus for the relationship. And the impetus here is in shrutva. They're hearing. Hearing these stories about Krishna as, from the boys gives them an impetus 
for their own parental relationship. And of course, the uh, vibhav is divided into different categories. It's divided into alambana and uh, udipan. So the alambana is Krishna himself as the vishaya, and then the other devotees who have similar relationships as the ashraya. So with the boys, this is from the boys to each other. With the adults, it's from the adults to each other. As the adults are feeling their relationship with Krishna, they amplify and stimulate this relationship among each other. This this give and take. And then we have the udipans, just the general stimulants which are here, hearing about Krishna. And not only hearing about Krishna, seeing him in the boys. That they're, oh, they're okay. Oh, they're okay. You know, we experience this again in our lives that somebody may say to us, oh my God, on the way home, you know, I, I got in a bad accident and my car got totaled. And we're, Are you okay? Are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm okay. And so we have this, this wonder that they're saved from this accident and we have this relief both by hearing the story and by seeing them. We see, are, are you okay? Are you okay? You know? if we see some blood coming out of their head or something, but we see that they are right. So this is the Udipan. And then the other thing here is the Satvikabhavs. So Satvikabhavs are things that happen involuntarily. Right? So what's happening here involuntarily is that they're, be, they're going into a state of being somewhat stunned. And it, it's interesting uh, the way the, the BBT translators put it here was silent eyes in the translation silent eyes now in one sense you can say well duh our eyes are always silent but in one sense that, that's not true our eyes are very expressive and we do talk a lot with our eyes yes it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why uh, that if you talk on the phone you have to pay a lot more attention to the conversation than when you speak to somebody you can see uh, the reason for that is that a lot of the information that we get about communication is from a person's body language and tone of voice, not just the words. So on the phone you have the words and you have the tone of voice, but you don't have the body language. Right? When we just read print, our mind imagines the tone of voice and the body language, which gets us into a lot of trouble if we imagine wrongly. Yes? We've all had this experience? You know, I just recently had a, had a chat with someone and I said something and the other person responded, are you trying to make me angry? And I'm thinking, not at all. You know, I was, my mood was like, ah. And so when you just have a written, your brain fills in the gaps. It basically hallucinates the, the tone of voice and the body language. And when we're on the phone, our, our mind is imagining the the body language, which is about 70% of communication. So we are actually communicating with our eyes. And we can communicate with our eyes even without speaking a word. You know, body language, facial expressions are such powerful forms of communication that even if there's no words and no tone of voice at all, there's a tremendous amount of communication that happens. And of course, there's so many instances in the Shastra where Krishna speaks with his eyes. It says in the universal form, his eyebrows are the regulative principles. And if you think about that, 
You know, when someone does something wrong, we exhibit that with our eyebrows, don't we? And when someone does something right, we do exhibit with, with our eyebrows. Yes, don't we do that? Yes, we all do that. So Krishna also does that. The regulated principles, what should be done and what, not, what should not be done, are resting on the eyebrows of the universal form. And Krishna often speaks with his eyes. Sometimes he revives his friend like from the... Um, when they fell unconscious and almost dead from drinking the water of the Yamuna. Krishna revived them with his eyes. And again, we talk like that. We talk with our eyes. And it's such a pleasant experience when we speak with our eyes and eyebrows and other people understand us without uh, saying anything. We really feel a connection. But here, uh, their eyes are silent. They are simply staring. They're just staring at Krishna and the boys. And this is involuntary. It's not that they're intentionally staring. It's just happening spontaneously. So this is a sattvic above. So we have the sattvic abhavs are often things like perspiration or trembling or becoming stunned. So this is a form of becoming stunned. And all of these five things together create this rasa. Rasa means a taste. I mean, in Ayurveda, it means a taste. Like the rasas in food are sweet, salty, sour, bitter, pungent, astringent. So this is, it means a pleasure. What pleasure we get from things. Everything we're doing, Prabhupada says in the preface to Nectar Devotion, is this taste. That we're, whatever we're doing in life, we're trying to get some kind of taste out of it. So this is what the, the elderly, as Prabhupada will call elderly, so I'm using that word, although they aren't elderly-like I'm elderly in this body. It's just that they're not children. The, the adults here, they're exhibiting this particular rasa with Krishna, and everyone is so happy. Now, what's really interesting here is we have, looking at the Vavichari Bhavs, they have this wonder, and then they have this relief. So they're feeling wonder that Krishna killed this demon, and they're feeling wonder that, that everybody is safe, because, you know, if you get swallowed by some big creature... You know, I guess our, our equivalent might be being swallowed by a crocodile or a shark. That would be something equivalent in our modern society. So if you heard that, you know, your, your child got swallowed by a crocodile and the child took the, the mouth of the crocodile and opened it up and split the crocodile, you'd be, whoa. You'd be full of wonder, isn't it? There was something in the news a few months ago of some hiker who was hiking in some western state alone, and he got attacked by a mountain lion. I don't know if any of you heard that. Yeah, he, he fought, he killed the mountain lion. He actually killed the mountain lion, and then he got, with his bare hands, and then he, you know, got off the trail and got to safety, and when he told the story, people didn't believe him. I mean, who'd believe that a man would kill a mountain lion with his bare hands? And they went and they found the dead mountain lion, and they had saw evidence that the mountain lion was like strangled to death. And of course he had uh, marks on him from the, from the mountain lion. So this is it's astonishing. I mean, it was big headline news and there were videos with this guy and people were, were just amazed that this full-grown man killed. It was a young mountain lion, so it was a full-grown man with a young mountain lion. But still, it was something really astonishing. So what to speak of if it was a child with a crocodile? You know, how, how could you even believe that? 
that a child could actually get swallowed by a crocodile and then split the <laughs> split the, the jaws and, and come out safe. So these kind of stories... Of course, one thing is that because the stories were so amazing, Krishna was often able to reassure his mother that these were just stories. Because why would you let your child go into the forest with all these monsters? Like Prabhupada said, every day there was some monster that Krishna killed. And then usually after that they'd have lunch and the, the monsters kind of interrupted. Well, because the boys were so busy playing, they didn't want to eat. This is, this is quite typical for little children. That um, I mean, I remember when my oldest son was in the Gurukul in Vrindavan and he was complaining to me that he was always tired. But he never got enough sleep. And I went to the teacher and I said, you know, he's, he's not getting enough sleep, he's always tired. And he, he said, oh, well, that's not true because every afternoon we give the boys an option that they can either play games or take a nap. And so if he was actually tired, he would take a nap. And at that time, the teacher had no children of his own. And I, I said, that's ridiculous. If you give a child a choice between playing and sleeping the child will always choose to play, no matter how tired they are. Right? It's just the way it is. And children also will choose to play rather than eat. You know, it's just, just the way children are. I mean, we're even like that. If we're doing something we really enjoy, we don't want to stop and eat, isn't it? Yeah? It's like, ah, lunch is being served at the temple now. I better hurry up. Oh, and I need to finish this. I need to finish this. Oh, I better hurry up. It's all going to be gone. Oh, but I need to finish this. And then by the time we actually make it to the temple, you know, all there is is a little bit of rice left over. Or we do this with sleeping, right? We're absorbed in something. It's like, oh my God, i got to get to bed. If I don't get to bed, I won't be able to get up from Mangalarti. Ah, oh, just another 15 minutes, you know. And, oh, another half an hour. Oh, another hour. Oh my God, it's 11.30 at night. So the, what to speak of if you're playing with Krishna? Imagine that. Imagine if you're playing with Krishna, then you really don't want to stop your playing with Krishna to eat. Why would you want to do that? So there has to be some interruption. So therefore some monster comes, and Krishna kills the monster, and then they're, okay, now let's eat. And of course you get kind of hungry, I guess, killing monsters. So they'll sit in there and eat. So why would Mother Yasoda and Nandamar send their little child? And we're talking about their little children. These are like five, six-year-old kids. You know, why would they send, if we did this today, we'd all get arrested and the children would be put in foster care. You know, to send your children into a forest with a river, taking care of these large animals. You know, the, even the calves are large animals for children, taking care of the cows. And then there's these monsters and wizards that attack the children. And so Krishna would often have to reassure his mother, this is just stories. These are exaggerations. You know, it, it wasn't that bad. It was just some little bird that was biting me. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't some humongous monster as big as a hill because then she would just keep him home and then he wouldn't be able to have any fun. Right? Krishna doesn't want to be... Uh, there's, one, there's one story like that our acharyas tell of when Mother Yasoda kept Krishna home. So, therefore, the, the, the adults are kind of struck with wonder that the children did this and at the same time not fully believing that the children did this. It's sort of a, a mix for the parents. Uh, and for the Calvert boys, they're always excited about Krishna doing these activities, but for them, you know, children are so simple and innocent, so for them it's like, yeah, there's a monster and Krishna killed him. <laughs> you know? 
I mean, human children imagine that there's monsters that they're killing, isn't it? You remember when you did that when you were a child? You imagined that you were fighting a battle or that there were some monsters or there was something. Uh, but with here, they're actually, they're actually doing it. And what's, what's further interesting is that Krishna himself forgets that he's God. Krishna enjoys being a child, which is, is just astonishing that, that the Lord himself enjoys being a child. And having these things that we just have in fantasy as children. You know, when we're children, we just take our little dolls, our little toys, and say, okay, let's pretend this is a monster. Okay, we're going to kill the monster. Where's your... You know, but he's actually doing it. He actually has these, these monsters come, and, and, and he's thinking, you know, what do I do with a gasura? I don't know what to do. Oh, boy, now I figured it out. <laughs> you know, and, and this pleasure that Krishna gets from killing these monsters. You know, he's not going to get that much pleasure killing the monsters if he's in the mood that I'm the all-pervading, all-powerful Vishnu and I can do anything just instantly without any... But if he's in this mood that I'm a little child, it's all very exciting to him. So the adults, when they're hearing this, they have this mixture of, oh, wow, wow, that's amazing. Krishna just does all these incredible things. He's such a wonderful child. And that, that feeling increases and increases their love for him. And also this, oh, okay, they're safe. They're safe. Uh, they see that Krishna's return from death, as it says here. Precha agatam eva. They thought as if the boys had returned from death. So how we feel again when someone we love, you know, is in some sort of difficult situation and then they've returned from death. And that this enjoyment of rasa is something that we're all looking for. It's something we're all looking for. I mean, human society in general, there's so many stories about heroic persons who get in difficult situations and are released from death. This was true before there were printed books when people would sit around in the evening and hear, hear stories. Of course, in Vedic times, they were hearing stories like they were hearing these stories from the Bhagavatam, the Ramayana, the Mahabharata. But in every society, even if they're just telling stories of the great heroes in their country, you know, or the great heroes in their religion, or, you know, like those of us who didn't grow up in Krishna consciousness, we grew up hearing stories about George Washington and how there was the cold winter in Valley Forge and they had no shoes and they were freezing cold and then they attacked on Christmas and with the surprise attack and even though they were outnumbered, still they were victorious. And we're hearing these heroic stories, you know, in the, in the movies. And, you know, I, I don't know, when I was a kid, I used to watch Superman on TV, and Superman would get into these difficult situations, and then he gets out of the difficult situation. Somehow he's victorious, and he's saved from death, and he gets rid of the evildoer. And so we have this this tendency, Prabhupada often says this, of to hear about other people's glorious activities. And whether it's real people or fictional people, you know, that this is what we're, we're so eager and enlivened to hear about heroes. So this is what we should be doing with Krishna. This time now in the Hare Krishna movement on this earth planet, I was hearing Prabhupada say this morning, how this earth planet is a condemned place. 
and we have to understand that it's a very condemned place. So from the material point of view, this is not a very nice place. It, It just isn't a very nice place. This is the lowest of the middle planets, and it's in the Kali Yuga. It's, you know, from the material, from the perspective of material consciousness, this is a really nasty situation that we're in. But from the perspective of our opportunity right now, we have the opportunity to develop the same mentality as these residents of Vrindavan. And we can do this now, but it depends on what we're absorbing ourselves in. You know, what am I absorbing myself in? Am I absorbing myself just like uh, I keep up with some of my old friends from high school on social media? I, I feel it's an opportunity that I can introduce them to elements of Krishna consciousness. And one of them, I'd say like 90% of what she posts is her dissatisfaction with the current American political situation. Like 90%. I mean, and, and I share her dissatisfaction with the current American political dis, you know, situation. It's not that I think she's wrong, but she's totally absorbed in that. You understand? She, she's, that's her complete absorption is meditating on what politician said what and what politician did what and what's happening in the, in the political sphere. And similarly, we can get absorbed in all kinds of things. You know, we were reading on Balaram's appearance day how Lord Balaram came to where Duryodhana and Bhima were fighting. And Krishna and the Pandavas were silent when Balaram came because they thought, well, I don't really know whose side he's on. Well, they just didn't say anything. And Balaram said, Duryodhana is more expert in the skills of fighting, but Bhima is stronger, and therefore it's an equal match and no one will be able to win by the rules of club fighting, which was actually true. The only way Bhima was able to win was by breaking the rules of club fighting. Of course, Duryodhana also had this special advantage that his mother had looked at him and given him a special kind of, you could say, intrinsic armor. But what was fascinating is in the Bhagavatam, it says, Anusmaram, that Bhima and Duryodhana were Anusmaram. They were remembering, and Anu means following. So that's like when you remember something and you dwell on it. You understand? We have the English word mull. So we have a drink called mulled cider. When you take apple juice and you cook it with like allspice and cloves and cinnamon until the spices from the heat of the fire, the spices become part of the apple juice. And it's called mulled cider. So to mold something means you're cooking it. So Bhima and Duryodhana, they were cooking their memories of their insults. He did this. He said this. He did this. He said this. She said this. He did this. And they were just meditating on this all the time. And therefore, Balaram was not able to stop them from this fight. So, of course, Krishna says, Mam Anusram Yudhya while we're doing our work in this world, whether we're a soldier, a police officer like Arjuna, or whether we're an intellectual, or whether we're whatever we are, we should be anusmaram about Krishna. We should be churning these things about Krishna. And frankly, we're going to be churning something. I was... uh, I was explaining to, I think it was to Padma, to Padma Gopi, 
about the different advice I had gotten about child raising, and one was from my god sister Chandrika. And she said, you're always teaching a child something. She said, if you don't teach them to be polite, you're teaching them to be rude. If you don't teach them to wake up early, you're teaching them to wake up late. It's not just, well, I haven't yet taught my child to wake up early. So in the same way, we're always churning something. We're always mulling something. We're always taking something in our consciousness and cooking it so that it becomes part of us. And then yam yam ba bisram brahram. It determines who we are. We become filled with this fragrance of whatever we're thinking about. So the purpose of reading and hearing the Bhagavatam is to become filled with Krishna. Just like the residents of Vrindavan are doing. And Srila Prabhupada says that if we do this even to a minute degree, if we can take up the mood of the residents of Vrindavan even to a minute degree, that is enough. That is enough. So, questions, comments, additions, subtractions. The poor Rupu told me to make sure I left enough time for questions, but then he didn't come today. Oh, he's listening at home. So, a if you're listening at home, you can send questions over the internet. Um, I was thinking about uh, you're, you're talking about heroes. Yeah. And there's one, I won't mention his name, but one famous academic who talked about the hero story. Yes. And every yes. culture has heroes. Joseph Campbell, and, right? And Joseph yeah. Campbell, exactly. Um, and he's very interesting in person because he he would have been great as a devotee because he can really tell stories. But uh, it's true, it, 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 it's hero, it, it, it's the hero who is the inspiration. So uh, our Nayaka should be Krishna and uh, in that way our life would be perfect. Otherwise we uh, worship, as you say, some man or some political figure and they come and go and they're imperfect. Yes, yes. We can also become absorbed with the um, villains. Right? We, can, we can be just absorbed in the villains as we can be absorbed in the heroes. They're kind of anti-hero, yeah. And, and, and it can be, you know, we can be absorbed in a fictional hero and villain like Superman or Spider-Man or whatever. It breaks my heart whenever I see devotee children reading about these fictional heroes. It's just like, that's one of the things that just really, really hurts. Uh, so it can be some fictional hero and villain or it can be some, you know, political or sports. You know, that's another big one, to become absorbed in heroes and villains in sports. Or we can make heroes and villains in our own life story. You know, that devotee did that to me, and that devotee did that to me, and that devotee did that to me. Or, you, know, that, you know, we can be absorbed in devotees, not in a transcendental way, but in a, in a mundane way where we're substituting them for our Krishna consciousness. It's quite interesting. But yeah, we need to make Krishna the hero. We need to make Krishna the hero. He already is. But we need to become aware that Krishna is the hero in, in our personal story. And we need to see that Krishna is the hero in, the, in general in the world. And then that solves the problem of wanting to become absorbed in so many other Krishna substitutes. Anybody else? Yes, for me. No, in this country, uh, it was right after World War II, mid last century, the, the religion started breaking down. Uh, so it's uh, when someone wanted to 
see a hero who wasn't with, with God, you know, in this case, Krishna. But in, that, in, in the past, it was, it was Krishna, it was, it was God, it was, it was Jesus. But, uh, but now, when we, because religions are, the mindset has collapsed a little bit, we spiritually, what we do is we find heroes in uh, Clint Eastwood, yeah, 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 like, movie stars. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, and those become our heroes. They do everything right. But because without a Christian, without our religion, tapped into our head every day, it's been broken away. Sure, yes. You know, now we see men as God. That's right. <laughs> yes, it's exactly what we do. Well, it's, it's interesting, this word secular. You know, I, it, it's understandable why the founding fathers in the United States wanted to separate church from state. Because when you have a state-sponsored religion, then if you have a state-sponsored religion and you don't allow any other religions, the only way you can enforce that is through death and torture. There's just no other way in human history. If you, if you say, we only have one state religion and no other religions are allowed. So the the founders of the American Republic decided that they didn't, they said the state cannot either uh, support a religion nor prohibit any religion. That the state has to remain neutral when it comes to religion. And you're right about the time frame. It started in after World War II, but particularly in the 60s and 70s, this was something I studied at UNC when we studied about laws regarding schools, that this concept became extended to taking God out of the picture entirely. You know, so previously in American schools, they, people would say the Lord's Prayer from the Bible in the public schools. And they would sing Christian hymns at Christmas time. I mean, here at Cameron Park School when I was working there, they sang very Christian hymns at Christmas, Christmas time. We're sort of like, whoa, how are you doing that? But it's a question of whether or not there's a lawsuit. So the schools were doing this, but gradually people started bringing lawsuits against the schools. It was in 1962, I was in school, I remember when it stopped. Yes, yeah. Why? Because people brought it to the courts. And then the courts said this behavior in the school is unconstitutional. In Pennsylvania, you're not allowed to wear like a cross to school if you're a teacher. Which isn't true in North Carolina, but it's true in Pennsylvania. So the secularism means that people get a mentality of removing God from life. Basically, the one way secularism can be defined is that you tell the stories, your, your personal story, and you tell the stories of others, and you tell the stories of humans in general without reference to God. And as soon as we do that, we, it's a vacuum that's, that's created. Like Thomas Merton, the famous monk who wrote a forward he wrote an appreciation of Srila Prabhupada's Gita. He said, we all have a God-shaped vacuum in our heart. And as soon as you remove God from the equation through secularism, the, the, nature abhors a vacuum, and it will get filled with something else. Either, you, either we will become the hero of the, of the world, you know, a very narcissistic people, they become the hero. Or, like, it's a movie star, or the fictional character the movie star plays, or some political leader, or some social reformer like Gandhi, or you know, or some very uh, expert business person, uh, depending on, or an artist or an athlete, depending on your particular what you're drawn to. 
will become the, the hero. Yeah, and then, and then that's what we absorb our consciousness on. That's what our anusmaram becomes. And then we exhibit all these five elements of rasa in a perverted way, materially. It's not that we can be without rasa. That's not, we're an andamayabhyasatva. It's not possible. But we end up getting this reflection of a rasa. Instead of, and we, and we think that's, you know, I'm happy because I have a reflection of, of these things. Yes, but we have probably like two minutes. Prabhupada said that actually it's the duty of the government to protect the people from going to hell. And so the government should make sure everybody's following their own religion perfectly. Yes. The Muslim, the government should make sure they're doing everything Muslims should do. Yes. I'll tell you though, it's, it's a very difficult thing. Like Indonesia you have to have on your identity card what religion you belong to. You're not allowed to be an atheist, at least officially. But you can only choose between six religions. And, and they, have requi- they have requirements for what it's like. In America, you can be, what is it, the flying spaghetti monster religion? I think they just gave the opening in Alaska at the, at the um, legislature. Because they're considered a religion. Because our, our government doesn't distinguish what is actually a religion. But the problem is like Indonesia where they distinguish what's actually a religion, they make certain rules that you have to comply with. So the Hindus there had to kind of do all sorts of crazy things to get registered as a religion. So you have that sort of situation or then you have a situation like in the UK where they have an official religion of the Anglican Church but they also to some degree facilitate other religions. Like, you know, they've given us money for a Hindu school. And they'll give money for Muslim schools. So, but that doesn't work out so perfectly either because they give a lot more facility and a lot more freedom to the Anglican Christian schools than they do to our schools. It's, it's not even-handed. So these are, I, I feel, very important things to consider. If we want to talk about revolutionizing the world and spreading Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement all over the world, one of the things we would look at is in an ideal world, what is the relationship between government and religion? Because it then affects everybody's story about who is the hero. Thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai.